Again, a lot of times we say Friday and then last couple of weeks and then we've given them till Saturday. Mm-hmm. So. Not this time. Not this time. We said something and we meant it. We're only flaky 75% of the time. That's right. That's practically consistent. That's almost a biscuit. If you consistently flake out. Is it flaking anymore? It's not. Only 10 more percent. I can think like a croissant. Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Welcome. I'm Liz. I'm Chad. We are here in episode 84, covering chapters 39 through 43 of The Words of Radiance by Brandon Sanderson. Words of Radiance! You ready for it? I'm ready. In episode 85, we'll be covering our first section of Warbreaker. That'll be from the beginning of the book through chapter 7. And in episode 86, our next Words of Radiance book club We'll read chapters 44 through 48. Why don't you put our spoiler policy out there? Happily. So our spoiler policy is very simply that Liz has read everything in the Cosmere, probably twice. I've never read any of these books, so as a result, we won't spoil anything past chapter 43 of Words of Radiance. That's right. So what did you think of this section of chapters? I thought it was a good section overall entertaining you know that we don't get a whole lot with Kaladin it's a pretty Shallan heavy section but the stuff that we get is pretty interesting we get to learn more about the ghost bloods and we get to see Shallan's power her powers growing that's right so up until this point we've seen Shallan pretty much in a desperate fight or flight situation for a good chunk of yeah of our experience with mm-hmm. her. So we finally get to see her in a place where she's safe. And then she immediately throws herself back into danger. She like does. You, do. yeah, you know, that's, that's what you got to do when you're 17 years old. Stupid stuff. I mean, I've never infiltrated a murderous cabal when I was 17, but. Not knowingly. But I did see a lot of Rocky Horror Picture Show, so. <laughs> might be the same thing. You know, I never once got to do that. Never once. Oh my gosh. I am. I got to take you. Do they still do it? They have to. That would be great. Someone has to do it somewhere. That's on my bucket list. Sorry, guys. Sidebar. Okay. It's like Tom Waits concert, Rocky Horror Picture Show. We'll make it happen. It's the only things I haven't done in my life that I want to do. I do a mean Columbia. Good good to know. (laughs) I feel like I would be a great. Riff Raff Anna's twin brother. Because <laughs> together I'm easily two Riff Raffs. Chapter 39? Sorry, I was just picturing you in Brad's tidy whities um, <laughs> Too far? <laughs> I mean, Chapter 39. For the fabric of the tidy whities yeah. Sorry, Grace. <laughs> chapter 39 is called Heterochromatic. It's a flashback chapter, and Shallan is at one of her father's feasts. The already awkward occasion is made downright excruciating when it's interrupted by a messenger from the High Prince, who wants to know the truth about what happened to Shallan's mother. 
Shallan's brothers are tempted to turn their father in for murder, but they are too afraid of him. Shallan cracks jokes to break the tension, but nothing can disguise the bitter fact that House Davar is coming apart at the seams. So things are bad for Shallan's family they at are, this point in her flashback. They are not good. And Iceberg Slim is over here trying to marry off Shallan. That's my nickname for uh, Lynn Devar. I call him Iceberg Slim. I like it. I don't think he's trying to marry her off in this chapter. You don't think so with him putting her up at the front and always inviting these families over? He's not trying to find a dowry? I think he's showing her off, but I think at this point he doesn't have any intention of letting her out of his sight. Fair point. Fair point. Still going to call him Iceberg Slim. I think you definitely should. Because he's cold as ice and he'd be pimping. <laughs> yeah, keep that up. That's awesome. <laughs> so at this point, Hilarion has been gone for a year and a half. And her father has completely disowned her oldest brother. Yeah. And th the loss of this sibling, he was kind of the stabilizing force, and he's gone. So it's all just sort of become a downward spiral. There's nobody to stand up to uh, Iceberg Slim. So he's slapping around everybody that he, whether, whether the family, light eyes, dark eyed, loyal, doesn't matter. He's yelling, he's screaming, he's breaking things, he's, he's, permanently harming the uh, dark eyes. And Shallan is still having dissociative episodes anytime that a memory uh, about her mother or what happened to her mother even comes close. Mm -hmm. So this messenger comes in from the high prince and he is the, his name is Redden. He's the high prince's bastard son and assassin. And it's interesting because he has one light eye and one dark eye. That is interesting. So I'd always just kind of wondered, what about people who have one of each? And now we know. They're all, they're clearly all bastards. They're like the Ramsey Boltons of... Right. Now tell me, has there ever been a fantasy novel where a character has different colored eyes who is not a villain? Yes. But it's a book that I don't like very much. So, so. fuck that book. So, yeah. Yeah, fuck that book. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's interesting because that's, at least in our society, that's common enough that you would think it would be more common in Roshar. And maybe it is, but... Who knows? People have... Apparently, when people soul cast, their skin starts to turn to stone, and nobody told us for... 1500 pages so you also have a society where it's very it's very rare for light-eyed people and dark-eyed people to have children together true so who knows what what that does to the gene pool yeah so the other thing i noted about uh redden is it it says the man strode in his face was so long and slender it looked as if it had been pinched long and slender like an arrow does he have an arrow-like face seems to be a common thing particularly mm -hmm. amongst mysterious people who just sort of show up mm -hmm. apparently in brandon sanderson's mind you cannot trust the underfed <laughs> the only other thing i noted in here well there's two other things i noted in, in this chapter so one when they're discussing halaran the siblings and they're all sitting around there discussing halaran 
Shallan says, oh, think of the colors he'll bring back from his travels. Mm-hmm. And then she says her brother, I forget which one of the brothers, looked out across the drab room. So, I mean, it's a strange statement in some regard. Mm-hmm. It just seems sort of out of place in Roshar generally. And then the juxtaposition of those words and the word drab leads me to believe that, I don't know, maybe he's trying to make some allusions to Warbreaker. That's an interesting observation. It doesn't necessarily go anywhere. Well, not we know that Shallan is not a world hopper because we've no, seen well, inside her head, you mm-hmm. know, but... We definitely have Warbreaker on the brain um, after Zahel, the recent interlude with Zahel, where if you've read Warbreaker and you've kind of been paying very close attention or had someone lay out lists of descriptions to you, you, you figured out that Zahel is a character from this book. So we do have that on the brain. We do have it on the brain. Uh, moving along, we'll try and stick to this section of books as we move forward here. So my last note in this chapter is, I'm quoting here, There was one, the messenger said loudly, who was willing to speak to us of the truth. He has since made himself unavailable. Do any of you have the courage? So my question is, did Hilarion rat out his pop? It certainly sounds like it. Because if you rat out your pop, Kaiser Soze will get you. (laughs) So what's interesting here is, as the messenger is talking to Shallan's father, Shallan tells her brothers that her father didn't kill their mother. But when they question her more, she blanks out. She goes into mm-hmm. one of her kind of space outs. Yeah. And we see Shallan here. This is one of the first times that we see her using humor as a coping mechanism. It was a long way to go for a pun. Yes. <laughs> a very long-winded pun. I had to go. I had to read it about three times yeah. to be like, "What the hell is going on?" Because <laughs> like I didn't get that it was a joke. I thought they were. I thought the two men were speaking in code, right? And so I'm way over analyzing mm-hmm. it. I'm like, I've got my decoder ring out, right? You know, I'm starting. To, what What could a leaf mean? Does he? You know, I, I'm looking for all these mysteries, and so when she starts. Laying out this long-winded joke, I'm like, and she gets to the punchline, I don't get it. You know, I, I had, to, had to go back and read it again uh-huh. and be like, oh, relieved. Okay, relieved. Uh, okay, I get it. I get it now. So the sort of the humor of it was kind of lost on me because mm-hmm. of that. But I applaud Brandon Sanderson's effort. Well, this is the first time that we see Shalon acting in this way and using this coping mechanism in these flashbacks. Mm -hmm. And we see it obviously a lot in her present state. Exactly. So I I just, I think it's very interesting that how many of Shallan's defining characteristics we've now seen spring from something that one of her brothers told her to do. So not that she wasn't always into art or wasn't always maybe funny at her core, but the things that she has chosen to define herself, you know, her brother Hilaran telling her to draw plants. Mm -hmm. That's what she does. And in this section, we have Balat telling her to crack more jokes and that they need more of that. And that's the other thing that she defines herself by her wit. So I just, 
I think it's interesting. And I think you see in Shalon someone who's built her identity in in trauma. The, the things that she has chosen to define herself are things that she's developed in reaction to trauma and as survival mechanisms. And I just, I think it's interesting because it, to me, this is a character that doesn't know who she is. Yeah, I think it's also interesting because I feel like when you're truly broken and somebody gives you a suggestion, you're more likely to try it. Right. Right. And she's taken these little directions from her older brothers who have become sort of a father stand in and she's clung to them and turns them into who she is. And we see her in a, in a very subtle way wrestling with her identity throughout this entire story so far. You know, when she shows up in Carbranth at first, she thinks of herself as this meek, shy, little non-confrontational person. And then she has to question whether that's who she really is. Mm-hmm. She finds out that it's not. And she's just continuing to kind of grow into herself. But she's been so defined by these lies that have kept her safe that it's really she really doesn't know who she is and you know what we see in brandon sanderson's work and that's something that he's overtly said that he does is that he likes to explore what would happen if a normal kind of psychological occurrence was influenced by magic and so we see we see you see that in this book quite a bit so one thing that i think is really interesting about shalon here when we talk about her struggle with identity and her reactions to trauma, um, I read this really interesting article that was talking about in in trauma literature, mm-hmm. there are two kind of approaches that people go back and forth. The first approach is one that emphasizes containment of traumatic thoughts and feelings. And then the other approach emphasizes exploration and talking about those thoughts and feelings. Yeah. And so... It just made me think of Shalon because her coping mechanism has been containment, like lock the feelings away. Yeah. And then pattern comes into her life and his goal seems to be to draw them out and to teach her how to balance truth and lies in order to grow. And we've talked about how in this world, magic users power and growth is tied to their personal growth yeah so Mm -hmm. i just think that's so interesting the article was it was a case study of this woman who was working with a patient with um, dissociative identity disorder Mm -hmm. and she was talking about how important it was to use both of those techniques and to to kind of integrate them in order to treat this kind of disorder so just kind of interesting so if i'm if i'm hearing you right if i can reflect what you're saying what you're saying is that pattern to Shalon is like the trolls to Elsa. I mean, that's kind of what I'm saying. Okay. okay. So we're saying the same thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, sorry. I don't think that robs your point of any of its poignancy. <laughs> Chapter 40 is called Polona. Shalan arrives at Sabariel's house and meets his mistress, Polona. Polona is pretty much awesome sauce, and Sabariel becomes rather likable as he interacts with her. Shalan settles into her new accommodations and can finally relax. Yes, go ahead. I assumed you were going to go, my, my Polona. Polona. I, I knew it because you were strumming. 
You're air strumming. And I knew the exact song that you were air strumming. (laughs) When you said it out loud, Uh I just heard it. Like, I instantly heard it in my head. My Polona. We must be getting really synced up. Just because I can tell what song you're air playing. (laughs) That's actually, it's pretty impressive. I mean. Thank you. So what'd you think of Polona? Polona and Sabario, how did you? I I like these characters. I mean, I think they're interesting. Polona is another one of these people who show up, though, who look Alethi but don't speak Alethi, which led me to think, oh, is there more going on here? But well, she's not Alethi. So Shalon, when she first sees her, says, oh, is she from northern Alethkar? Mm-hmm. And then when she speaks, she goes, no, Herdazian? Mm-hmm. But then she says something about her stony fingernails confirming that she is Herdazian. Yes. But at first, that looks Alethi, tall, looks Alethi, speaks with a different accent, is something we keep seeing in people who show up in the interludes, people who might potentially be world hoppers. That's true. My take on it was that meeting Sabariel's mistress, she wasn't expecting a Herdazian woman because generally they're not there of the lower classes. Or a dark-eyed woman at all. Right. And of course, she's obviously taken aback by the relationship between this lower-class dark-eyed woman and this high prince. I mean, they're absolute opposite ends of the spectrum, Mm -hmm. but they appear to have this kind tongue-in-cheek sort of barbs going back and forth uh, as though you're speaking with people who are very intimate with each other. Right, so Sabariel is a character that seems to have been constantly underestimated by not only Yasna, but all of the other high princes as well. And that kind of makes him a good match for Shallan. Well, what I thought was interesting is this chapter opens up with Shallan riding in the carriage with Sabariel snoring Mm -hmm. so he meets this girl she inserts herself into this huge thing in front of all the high princes they're in a society where assassinations are common he takes her in they get into a closed space together and he's like i'm gonna take a nap (laughs) my dude gives no fucks he really doesn't like i was like wow that's that's some balls, man. Like, <laughs> you don't know this girl. Like, you know, you know all the other high princes hate you, and you know the way that they like to take out their enemies is through assassination. And you don't care. He doesn't care. He does not care. The other thing I thought was his banner, Sky Eel. Hmm. Black and gold, black on a, uh, excuse me, gold on a black field. But sky eels are not usually, I wouldn't think, the sort of thing that you would willingly want to associate yourself with. Aren't they seen as sort of scavengers, or am I just, is it just my own personal impression of the concept of a flying moray eel being frightening and terrifying? I mean, I find it frightening and terrifying, but I don't, I haven't heard any characters talk about it as such. Okay. So Shalon also discovers that Sabario is. His intelligence has definitely been underestimated. 
he's underestimated by the high princes because he doesn't really care about gem hearts. So he's pretty much always in the lower rankings. And he portrays this this image of a sort of a buffoon, a lazy buffoon. But what he's actually been doing is building an economy in the Shattered Plains, which no one else has done. While everyone else has been scampering off after gem hearts, he's been building textile factories. He's been planting food. He's been making industry, which is actually making him quite wealthy as well. The other thing that's interesting about that is that he will have no interest in forging a peace because all of his economic interests depend on this war continuing. So I might disagree with you about that because what he says to her is as long as the gem hearts are here, the Alethi are going to be here. Hmm. I don't know that they need to keep being at war with the Parshendi in order to keep wanting to be after the gem hearts. Fair point. Fair point. And I, I just really enjoy one of the last things that Polona says to Shalon as she gets her settled in her room. She says, you're not the first stray he's brought home. Some of us even end up staying. Mm-hmm. So that just kind of tells you something about Sabariel's character, though he, he portrays himself as this heartless, lazy jerk. I don't think he's really that way. This also has my quote of the section. Which is? Where Polona says to Shalon, welcome to civilization. Leave your loincloth and club by the door. (laughs) That's a really good one. My favorite exchange is when Sabariel shows up and says, is there food? And she says, well, you ran off the cook. And he goes, well, you could have cooked food. And she says, so could you. Yeah. (laughs) My last note in this chapter is... I think it's interesting the degree to which Shalon feels so safe in Sabariel's camp. And it leads me to believe that she's not. All right. Chapter 41 is called Scars. Kaladin and Teft bring Bridge 17 down into the chasms to train. Kaladin practices running up the wall, somewhat successfully. When they return to camp, they have a surprise waiting for them. Prince Renarin wants to join Bridge 4. Kaladin reluctantly agrees, despite the misgivings of his crew. So we finally get to find out where Teft was all that time. Or we don't. Because Teft doesn't want to tell us. Correct. He went to the market and lost track of time. In other words, he got drunk. (laughs) But the whole but the whole thing seems to me like a, a bit of a weird sort of red herring. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's just because of the way we ended our sections and we sort of hung on it and it made it maybe stand out to be more than it really was. But the fact that we had this whole thing about where is Teft? Where did Teft go? Where is Teft? And it wasn't really brought up. And now we find out Teft is like, I went to the market. Leave me alone. Mm-hmm. And then in a later exchange, we find out from Moash that he and Teft and somebody else have been going into town and drinking and gambling. Mm-hmm. I like th- that seems like it would just be completely normal and fine, except it's a strange way to bring it up. Mm-hmm. And 
the way in which Teft reacts to Callan and asking him the question where he, quote, looks away, leads me to believe he's either lying or he's embarrassed. But why would he be embarrassed about going out and having a drink with his friends? So it's still a little bit suspicious to me. Yeah, he's definitely being sketchy. We also know that it's 37 days until whatever. Till something. Till something. And Kaladin has a couple important conversations with Syl in this chapter. She does. In the beginning of the chapter, she asks him, what do you want? What is it that you want now that your bridgemen are safe? And at first he says that he wants to beat the assassin in white because he deserves to die because really it's his fault that all of this stuff has happened to him. And but towards the end of the chapter, once he kind of gets to this point where he's he makes a breakthrough with his surge binding. He says, no, you know what? He needed to know whether or not Dalinar was being truthful whether he was really as honorable as he said, or if he was just being faked out again, like he was with Amaram. That's what he, yeah, that's what he says. And he says, I need to know if honor is dead. And Syl says, he is, but he lives on in men and in me. I also just think it's an interesting sort of parallel, whether deliberate or not, I don't know, but just this concept of, no, I can't trust, I can't have faith, I need to know, I need to know. I think it's an interesting parallel to how a lot of people wrestle with religion. You know, I don't know if that's a deliberate thing that Brandon Sanderson is doing because it is such a small example, but it's also a very literal thing that you hear people saying all the time. Well, I think it's interesting that Kaladin is making his personal development dependent on someone else. He's, you know, Syl is telling him for him to progress. And we know that for magic users to progress in their power, they need to progress in their personal development. Syl is telling him in order for him to progress, he needs to let this go. And he's he's not willing to take responsibility for that. He's saying, well, if Dalinar proves himself, then. Then maybe. Yeah. So it's just interesting. You know, Shalon is is struggling with something similar, but she's not really blaming her refusal to do what she's being asked to do on anyone else. You know, she kind of where Shalon is stuck is not wanting to look at painful memories. Mm-hmm. She's not saying, "Well, if someone else does this, then I'll I'll go ahead and move forward." So that's an interesting parallel, too. The discussion moves on from there with Syl saying, well, what about Amaram? And Kaladin telling her in no uncertain terms that it's his intention that he's going to kill Amaram. Mm -hmm. To which she says, don't let the dark side destroy you like it did your father, Luke. (laughs) It's also kind of interesting that Kaladin sounds like he catches a glimpse of Shadesmar right before he is able to access the the surge of gravitation. Which actually makes sense to me. I was thinking about it Mm -hmm. because the perception I get is that Shadesmar has a little bit of a sort of opposite to normal reality reaction. The Mm -hmm. sun is dark, the sky is lighter, et cetera. But 
but also that when you are on solid ground where you know gravity would seat you on the ground when you're in shades mar you're falling through the ground but when you're in the ocean it's the opposite so it does have this sort of weird play on gravity so it seems to make sense to me at some level that by kind of touching on that realm you could shift gravity around mm-hmm it doesn't feel quite as real as, say, sympathy feels in the Kingkiller Chronicle. But you can understand in the context of this world how that might make sense. Right. So let's talk about Renarin. All right, let's talk about him. So I just love how um, it, it reminds me a little bit of the scene where we see Renarin first starting to train with his shard plate. And Zahel tells him to jump off the roof of the building. <laughs> and you just and then he goes off and he's having this conversation with Kaladin. But in the background, there's Renarin just going, Rah! Rah! <laughs> just kind of over and yeah. over again. He's got this like this puppy dog willingness. And we see that here when he shows up and asks Kaladin to join Bridge Four. And he tells him that Dalinar had Adolin serve in a spearman company for two months as part of his training so he wants to do that and uh and Kaladin is very uncomfortable and doesn't tell him no but he's like okay well go go wash dishes and Renard's just like really you know I can wash the dishes you know it's an interesting discussion to me about how the core of this society is about conflict and it's it's this entirely martial society and how much this person who does not appear to have any talents for any sort of martial warfare, and in fact seems to have everything going against him in that regard, who nonetheless is a very worthwhile, talented person, will forego pursuing being an ardent, pursuing anything like that, to be a shitty soldier, rather than being a good, ardent, or a good storm warden, or maximizing the the political savvy that he has, or wheeling and dealing behind the scenes, or anything like really using his talents to any good end, he would rather be a shitty soldier, because that's what's important to everybody else in society, and overlaid with the whole religious tone, which is discussed overtly, the idea that the afterlife is combat. Yeah, and he, by the way, shitty afterlife. Right? It's terrible. So do we think Moash sabotaged the balcony? No. You do not? No. All right. No, I'm I still going with, with Renarin. Okay. I, I mean, I think that there's evidence to say it could be either Moash or Renarin. I think there's evidence to say it's not Moash. There's evidence to say it's not Renarin. So, it, but in my opinion, I think it's either going to be Renarin or just some random third party that we don't know or haven't considered. That's that's my take. I got one more note in this chapter, and it's that Sigzel is the only one asking the important questions. Yeah, so we do have to talk about that. Sigzel is um, is asking the important questions and the questions that, like, for two books, you've been, we've been saying, 
why isn't anybody wondering this? Yeah, right? So he asks, how does the lost civilization of Parshendi, who had no contact with the outside world, suddenly manage to recruit a surge-binding shin from the extreme opposite end of the continent? And what's not also said in here, but what I think we need to acknowledge is not only did they manage to recruit him, not only is he a shin, not only is a shin surge binder, but he's a shin surge binder with an honor blade. And in addition to all that, the shin are notoriously, as as Sigzel says, xenophobic. You know, there's never been, it's not like there are shin warriors for hire just running all over the place. No. Like there's never been, I mean, it's, it is completely against the odds and nobody has wondered about this. And when Sigzel brings it up, everybody's like, what? Man, these Alethi are dumb. They're kind of dumb. They're so dumb. Like this is, this is the, so far, this is the one thing that I find annoying about this book series is just how dumb the Alethi are that they don't ask these questions. They're dumb. I mean, you just have to keep reading. So you say... Just keep reading. It it almost reminds me of the A.S. Sedai from Wheel of Time and how most of the A.S. Sedai were not very smart, but they were supposed to be very smart, but they weren't ever written that way with the exception of a handful of the key characters who were made to appear smarter by making all the other A.S. Sedai look fucking dumb. It's not like that. In my brain, I know it's not like that, but but that's the way it feels right now. Okay. These Alethi are dumb. <laughs> I don't like them. Chapter 42 is called Mere Vapors. Shalan awakes in Sabariel's manor to a nice dinner and an incoming message from the bloodthirsty cabal that killed her mentor. That's right, Tin Spanreed is flashing with a message from the ghost bloods. They want to meet tonight. With a surge of either balls or stupidity, Shalan throws on a light woven disguise and sets out to meet with the assassins. So some balls on this kid. I know, right? Right? Also, can we say, my favorite quote of this section is, it's like color you can see with your mouth. (laughs) I only have one note in this whole chapter. And it's basically that it's a really cool skill, particularly for somebody as gifted artistically as Shalon, to be able to draw a person and then look like that person. It's pretty freaking it's cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah, we really get to see Shalon come into her light weaving powers here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We've already seen how powerful soul casting is, and we've also seen how terrible Shalon is at it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not really her strength, at least not yet. But it's interesting because we've seen soul casting, and we you kind of assume that, oh, that's what, you know, her magic's going to be all about, and now it goes in this completely different direction. It does. It really does. If I had that skill and the ability to draw and then become that thing, I could become Garfield at will. I could become a stick person. (laughs) (laughs) 
But very That's cute the... stick people. I have, we've all seen your stick people. <laughs> very attractive stick people. <laughs> so again, we get to see how useful pattern is in that when this message comes through uh, from the from the span reeb, he's able to recognize the code that Tin and her correspondent have been using to verify the other's identity, which Shalon would not have noticed. No. So I like that they're not making it too easy for Shalon or that it's maybe not that it's difficult for her, but it's also not that the ghost bloods are stupid. Uh, yeah, that's what I was going to say, that we know that Yasna has mentioned that there are codes that people use. So if they hadn't had something like that and they were leaving all this up to chance, it would be a little be a little daft. Right. You can tell that the, the span read technology is well thought out. Correct, yeah. They don't have iPhones. There's no face facial recognition. It's like when we were in high school. Yeah. You had to fax people. I know. If you wanted instant communication. You really did. Didn't even have email. No. Gather around, young ones. <laughs> we'll tell you about it. Let me tell you about a time where if you wanted to talk to somebody, you had to actually talk to them. Hey, my dad had a fax machine for work, so I could like instantly talk to like two other people whose dads also had fax machines <laughs> for work. <laughs> You and the other three rich kids in town could <laughs> fax each other at will. Now, did you fax anybody pictures of your stick figures? I did not. I had not developed my stick figure talents at the time. To quite that level? No. <laughs> I mean, what could you, what were you faxing people then? Did you put that technology to good use? Probably not. <laughs> Chapter 43 is called The Ghost Bloods. In this chapter, Shalon meets with Mraze from the Ghost Bloods, posing as Tin's apprentice. He had been planning to kill her, but she's able to convince him that she will be useful. He directs her to break into Amaram's manor and steal his secrets. Shalon's powers are put to the test as she dodges a tail on the way home, but she makes it back to Sabariel's manor undetected, exhilarated, and determined to complete this mission. And we made some pretty interesting characters. We do. My first note in this chapter is really about the building. Okay. So they run off, they find this old tenement building. Right. Which is over top of a pre-existing, like natural, like a basement of a, of, of a kind. Mm -hmm. And Shallan has been on the Shattered Plains for about 24 hours and she has already realized that this civilization is built all over top of the bones of another civilization mm -hmm. that these stupid Alethi haven't figured out for the six years that they've been on these shattered planes. Well, I'm sure whoever built the building knows that, but just nobody cares. Correct. Yeah. Fair point. My other point in saying this, because we have this sort of, we have this building over top of it is a, a way that sort of hides an entrance into kind of this underworld. But then even that hides another deeper layer. Right. And to be able to avoid flooding through this and all the engineering work that one would have to engage in to be able to have something down there like that, where they would feel safe putting their trophies and it not flooding, 
means a lot of investment, Mm -hmm. which tells me there's no way in hell that Siberial doesn't know it's there. Hmm. It's his high, it's his camp. He's got all these other in, you know, things he's built. I don't believe he's unaware that that is there. Okay. So we meet a couple of interesting characters down there. We meet Marais. Right. As you mentioned. And I spent a lot of time trying to figure out if Marais was somebody we'd already seen. Okay. I did not find out whether or not Marais <laughs> was somebody we'd already seen. But there's a lot of interesting and unique characteristics, physical characteristics about this character. Jet black hair. Mm-hmm which doesn't occur very often in Roshar. Mm -hmm. He has a scar that goes from his, I think his cheek through his lip, Mm -hmm. disfiguring his lip, Mm -hmm. making him one of several people who has a scar on his cheek. Right. So I was trying to track down and find out if this was the same guy who keeps showing up and killing mofos with the crescent-shaped scar. It does not appear to be. Right. He also has his hands are disfingered, like his fingers have been broken and then healed up wrong. Right. So a pretty distinct character. And again, when Brandon Sanderson tends to really double down on the physical characteristics, it tells me there's something else at play. We, we already know that this is a, a going to be an important character. He's, you know, one of one of the one of a handful of known ghost bloods and the one who appears to be in charge in the shattered planes. Right. Who Tin said nothing happens in the shattered planes without her, without this guy being involved. She did say that. She did. In fact, say those words on paper as a fictitious character. She said those words. It's also interesting that when Shalon meets Mraze, he, she says that he reminds her of the messenger from her childhood. Correct, yeah. What's most remarkable about all of this to me is that his ugly ass is not the most peculiar person there. Right? This woman shows up with what I can only assume is a Parshendi carapace attached to her face. It doesn't say Parshendi. Right. It just says carapace. Orange carapace, yeah. yeah. That apparently has been there for so long that the skin has started to grow over top of it. Mm-hmm. She's the kind of girl you don't take home to mama. Definitely. In my life, I have always been able to pride myself at being able to recognize crazy from a distance. Now, I don't... <laughs> I mean, that's handy. I I get why you've developed that skill. I was the worst wingman you could ever take out. (laughs) Back when I was young and I (laughs) would do that sort of thing, I was the wingman nobody wanted. Is that why they called you Gramps? Exactly. That's exactly why they called me Gramps. I'd be like, trouble, trouble, she's okay, trouble. (laughs) But listen, I don't mean that in terms of like anybody. I'm not talking about people's mental health. I'm talking about crazy. Right. It's a different type of crazy we're talking about here. Right. But listen, 
chicks like this are just making my job easy. Like <laughs> carapace on the face, trouble. Trouble. It's not even the carapace on the face. That's not where the trouble comes from. No. The trouble comes from the fact that her skin has grown over it. <laughs> Listen, everybody likes to get freaky for a night. <laughs> but not everybody wears their freak on the streets. <laughs> I can't argue. I have zero arguments. What the fuck is going on there? <laughs> That is some weird ass shit. No lie. There is no lie. So Shalon says that Marais reminds her of the messenger from her childhood. And then she slips in this random ass cryptic response. Uh-huh. In italics. Two blind men waited at the end of an era contemplating beauty. Mm-hmm. What the hell does that mean? You got to read and find out. It doesn't come up before. No. So it's not something that's been alluded to in the past. Correct. So we, so there's no way we could reasonably... This... I mean, just menagerie of, of insane people down here. And then you throw that gem on top of it, which is clearly going to be important... We have entered a different world. It's another layer on the baklava. It's not a layer. It's a whole goddamn pan of baklava <laughs> on top of another pan of baklava. <laughs> on top of a sheet cake. <laughs> like, we're not even in the same bakery. <laughs> it's a mess. That's what I'm saying. Just keep reading. Just keep reading. What I think is cool about this chapter is how it starts off with Shalon kind of bumbling through, just going out into the world as a dark-eyed oh, yeah. woman. <laughs> you know, first off, she's got this glove on her hand, but she's super self-conscious about it. And then she walks and she's she comes to like a knot of people on the street and she just stands there. And she's like, hmm. She just waits for them to get out of her way. And then she stops and goes, wait, they're not going to get out of my way. I just have to push. She's so accustomed to people parting for her. And then she goes up to buy like a like a candied apple. And and she ends up giving the woman that would be like giving her like a like one hundred and fifty dollars for a pack of oh, gum. I got the impression it was way more than that. But yeah, but the analogy stands. Yeah. And uh, she's like, oh, she's so she's completely bumbling. But when the when the chips are down and she gets down into there, she's actually able to quite deftly handle Mraze and talk him out of killing her. And, uh, you know, she's able to read him. And she's and she says, you know, pretty quickly, she's like, you know, I don't think you're the type of person that will throw away something useful. And then she's able to convince him that she will be useful. So it, it just was a kind of a cool thing. Uh, yeah, I was very impressed with her ability to walk through that situation. It is a little. Hmm, I guess it's not strange that the ghost bloods would sort of allow this person who they don't know to come into that scenario 
and allow them to leave. We don't know that it was ever their intention to allow her. They could have, I don't think they were, but they could have been planning to assassinate her as soon as she left. I don't, I don't know why you would other than to have the body outside your lair instead Mm -hmm. of inside your lair. But I mean, but it seems more likely that they were simply trying to trail her to see if she was telling the truth. Right. The fact, I wonder if the fact that she simply disappears, if that leads them to become suspicious of her or if it leads them to have more respect for her. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little of both. Maybe, yeah. So what did you think of the, the mission that they set for her? To break into Amaram's house and snoop around, basically. Uh, you know, whatever. Uh, that that I didn't find to be all that strange. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is a little bit strange that he's the one they choose to dig into. Mm-hmm. You know, why Amaram, of all people? It makes sense kind of in within the sense of our story, but I don't know that it makes a lot of sense in terms of why the Ghostbloods would be interested in, in him. But what I actually thought was most interesting about that was really none of that, was that he said, do not harm him. Mm -hmm. That is a job or a privilege or whatever for somebody else. His life belongs to another. His life belongs to another. That was the part that I thought was interesting. That is interesting. Uh, Any thoughts on the the collection to kind of take... I do, yeah. Actually, I I do have... I do have some notes on the collection. It's one of my predictions. Oh, okay. So we will talk about it when it comes time for predictions. Well, we're, it's pretty close to that time. It's getting, getting to be that time. It's right around the corner. <laughs> well, that's all I have for Chapter 43. That's all I have. Would you like to talk about some listener interactions? Yes, I would. Oh, Okay. So our first question comes from Brian McClure, who says, do you have any thoughts on Marais's odd collection of artifacts? Oh, there we go. All right, fine, fine, fine. I guess I have, <laughs> I have to answer it. So I, I did note the odd collection, and there are two things. She, she mentions it in sort of two groups. She mentions a couple things that she recognizes, a white spine spine or i don't know whatever it was white spine tooth or whatever a santhede eye socket a sant an eye socket that she thought might come from a santhede gem heart a gem heart but then list a bunch of other things that are a little bit more strange my prediction my thought is that those are all items from different planets in the cosmere oh snap uh, so, I mean, I think you're right. You know the you know the flower is from Halandrin. You're so freaking smart. You're a smart gentleman. Um, so that that is like very common speculation. I don't I don't know that it's confirmed, and I I just realized that might be a spoiler to tell you that it's not confirmed minorish spoilery but no that is um that's that's the common speculation i don't think it's a spoiler to say something's not confirmed well as of yet yeah i don't know maybe i'm wrong 
if somebody if that is a spoiler, somebody thinks that's a spoiler or is bothered by it, let us know. I don't yeah. I don't I don't think it is and wouldn't think of it that okay. way. Maybe I'm just not thinking of it the right way. So I, I'm fairly certain that that's not confirmed, but that is the the general speculation um, that that the items are from different worlds of the Cosmere. Apparently, when you travel between worlds in the Cosmere, you have to get a scar on your cheek. Right. But I, but I think it's interesting that it that if they are items that are related to that are important enough to be brought from world to world, that the things that are chosen to represent Roshar in that collection are gem hearts, which we know have magical properties, mm-hmm. and the eye socket of a sand thief. Yeah. You know, and for me, I, I feel like when this the part where Shallan gets saved by the Sandheed. A lot of people have a problem with. They say it's you know that was too mm. convenient. But to me, that says maybe we're what's going on is that the Sandheeds are magical in nature. I was a person who thought that was too mm-hmm. convenient. Right. I would certainly be willing to forgive that. I mean, it's not a big deal, but I would certainly be willing to to eat my very modest words. In that section, if if it turns out that there is something more relevant to the Sandheed mm-hmm. than we realized. Brian also says, do you think that Shallan should have gone disguised as Tin instead of as the character Vale that she created? And my answer is no. Yeah, I don't think she could have pulled that off either. Yeah, I don't think she could have pulled it off. I think she would have ended up in a lot more trouble as Tin than as going, I think she'll end up getting, she'll have a better opportunity to explain not understanding things. Right. And she'll actually manage to get more information out of them because people won't assume that she knows a bunch of information right. by going that way. So no, I don't think so. Brian McClure also says, anything that stands out about Mraes or any of the other ghost bloods? Uh, yeah, that bitch had a carapace on her face with skin that had grown over it. Is that like the Rosharan version of really, really skinny eyebrows? No. (laughs) That makes really skinny eyebrows (laughs) or even the big, crazy drawn on eyebrows seem stable and sane. (laughs) That's like wearing the face of your enemy on your face. (laughs) I mean, the only human equivalent to that in our world is actually the movie (laughs) Face-Off. Which was also just as fucking weird. <laughs> and is, is really only worth it for the titular line. <laughs> but it's the best titular line ever delivered. It's pretty awesome. I'm going to take his face off. So Daryl Mansell says, anything planned for the big 100? No. So so we we don't have definite plans, but we do know that 100th episode is probably going to occur in May 
according to our regular, you know, our our schedule, a tentative schedule that we have so far. So we are still looking. I know it. In a perfect world, we had we had kind of dreamed of doing some sort of live get together. I would really with like local to, fans. But yeah. Um, but I I really don't know uh, how many people we have on the East Coast or who within driving distance of Baltimore. But we definitely will be doing something, maybe either a Facebook Live episode or YouTube video or something along something. those lines we some want kind of giveaway we want to do no, something the answer is no we have no idea yeah we don't know. we don't know. we have no <laughs> we're batting around ideas we want to do something big uh, i i really would like to find a way to do something live but it just may not be practical so yeah again no no we have no, <laughs> we idea. Have no idea we have no idea what we're doing and we are completely Completely open to suggestions. So, anybody's got any ideas, we would uh, we'd be more than happy to listen to them. Susan King says, besides uh, shard blade and shard plate, what other superpowers would you like to have? I mean, Shalon's power is pretty cool. It's basically like a Snapchat filter, but all the time in real life. <laughs> and I'd be down with that for sure. That's pretty cool. I mean, you could have that puppy dog tongue everywhere you go. <laughs> right? You know. It would make job interviews way more entertaining. So would. <laughs> I feel like I already have a superpower. It, is it spotting the crazy from it's far the away? the ability to spot crazy from across the room. <laughs> And it has served me well in life. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, Susan. So, oh, so, okay. So Susan said, what's with the short guy dressed, uh, dressed with the mask growing to his face and carapace? Is that person Parshendi? Mm -hmm. I think Susan missed that it was a she because mm -hmm. that's like a like a just a brief right. line you have to catch that it's it's a it's a female and i don't think susan has my same ability to spot crazy from across the room <laughs> that's the face of insanity susan <laughs> brian mcclure also says we were introduced to the name of some more orders of the knights radiant which ones do you think have the coolest name so far so we didn't really talk about the Snapters this time. No, we didn't, yeah. But I have written them all down. And definitely um, at the end of this book, we are going to go through them all. The, the Snapters in this book have been uh, from the... It's a little gets a little confusing because they're all from the fictional version of Words of Radiance which is the book that Yasna gave to Shallan, which is now in the bottom of the ocean. But it gives its information about the Knights Radiant, what happened with them. So we've learned about some different orders named the Releasers, who are also, you know, known as the Dustbringers. 
and the stone wards, the wind runners we knew about, oh. and the bondsmiths. Have we heard about the bondsmiths? It yeah, was well. mentioned. Okay. Yeah, the bondsmiths and the skybreakers. I mean, that's kind of my favorite. Skybreakers. I mean, they're not my favorite order, but as far as the names. I belong to a different order of radiance. Yeah. They were called the windbreakers. <laughs> the cheese cutters. <laughs> Fruit tutors. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. It must be late. Oh. Yeah, we passed midnight. It's uh, it's on. Oh, my goodness. Don't start me on fart jokes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you caught me with those. You, that was good. Uh, Brian McClure says favorite quote for this section. And we think we've, we've addressed that. Talked about that. Uh, he also says, flight or invisibility, which would you choose? So there was a thread. I didn't get a chance to get into it, but I saw it on the page where somebody said, hey, classic question, flight or invisibility, which would you choose? Mm-hmm. You know it, You know what's funny? I feel like we've actually already talked about this on the podcast at one I point. I feel like we've talked about this like every couple of months in our marriage. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think you got to go flight. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when I was like a 13-year-old boy. Definitely invisibility. Definitely invisibility. (laughs) There's no, see, you can't ask a 13-year-old boy because it's always going to be invisibility. Mm -hmm. But now that I'm more mature, I want to (laughs) fly. Ian James Crone says, top five picks for which other characters will become Knights Radiant. Eric Allgaier says, you mean four others besides the Lopen? So we didn't talk about some of the Lopen's cracks this time around, but they were pretty funny. Classic, classic Lopen. Classic the Lopen. Yep. Well, I I mean, I think Elicar. Okay. Oh, because of the, the Spren? Yeah, Absolutely. I think so. We've got Elicar as one. I mean, frankly, I, I don't, I don't even know. That's who you'd guess. Yeah, I mean, there's nobody else. I, I mean, you could make some random stabs, but there's not anybody else who really kind of stands out. I could almost see it happening to Renarin. Mm-hmm. That's really about all I can think of. Brian McClure says, do you think the ghost blood Nochalan lied to them or she managed to pull the wool over their eyes? No, I think she I think she got away with it. I mean, so far, I don't think they suspected she was lying. Ian Trezise says, in chapter 39, when Lynn, Shalan's father, is talking with Redden, I like how she cracks jokes to break the silence of three brothers, not parts. Ah. <laughs> Reminds me of my youth when my friends and I would turn down the volume of late night B-movies and especially old Kung Fu movies and make up our own stories. Any similar MST3K type stories from the Duke and Duchess or the group? I mean, I definitely dug me some MST3K for sure back in the day. And I guess we were talking about Rocky Horror, which was a similar concept. Yeah, I mean, I remember as a kid doing the same thing. Mm Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, particularly like a early teens, 
there was me and another friend of mine who we would just we did a lot of parody songs Mm -hmm. but like they were like parody songs on the spot like Mm -hmm. like you didn't you no time to think about it yeah you know um i uh i sang a pretty uh pretty vicious uh michael jackson's i'm looking at the man in the pooter (laughs) i feel like i was too shy to do stuff like that Uh, yeah so you told me the other day 15 years into our marriage that i'm strange (laughs) i did not say you were strange i said you were getting even stranger all right i accept that (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've always been a little strange. I know you have, but what I'm telling you is you're getting stranger. That might be the nicest thing you've ever said to me. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Ian Trezise next says, we see in this Alethi people that Vengeance Pact turned out to be a profitable game of collecting gem hearts. Sabario saw early on how fighting was too much work and losing soldiers was costly in many ways. Was it nice to see that all the high princes and their war camps have different agendas or is this just another form of their conquering nature? No, I, I appreciate that we have somebody to break up the stupidity. I mean, monotony of these high princes just all being carbon copies of each other. So, no, I thought it sort of deepened the world and makes it seem more realistic because otherwise this is like every, it's just every high school quarterback from every 80s football movie ever (laughs) recorded all on one stage together, you know. So, no, I I was very happy for, for the difference there. Ian also says, at the end of chapter 40, talking about Shallan sitting down on the plush white bed and sinking almost down to her neck, what did they make that thing out of? Air and wishes? I think they made it out of lies and trepidation. Have you ever slept in one of those really wiggly water beds? Oh, yeah. They're horrible. They were all the rage in the 80s, though. I mean, I remember. <laughs> you would always roll down into the crack. Yeah. Like, if anyone else sat on it with you, you were like, why? You don't really see waterbeds anymore. No. You know what else you don't see anymore? What? Nunchucks. I disagree. Nunchucks are out there. What? (laughs) You know, one of my favorite things our son has ever said when he was around seven. Yeah. That (laughs) he told me that when he turned 18, he was going to build an entire room out of nunchucks. And I was I like, about you that. better <laughs> or you're out of the will if you don't build a room out I'm, of nunchucks. I'm holding you to that. I'm holding you to it. I forgot about that. Oh, that's a good one. So Andrew Zeese also says that he likes seeing Kaladin and Teft in leadership roles, but where did Teft go and what do you think he's doing? Just going out to the market in a high storm to pick some of those organic free-range Shinovar chicken eggs? Shinovar chicken jokes never get old. They never ever get old what kind of chicken is that that chicken has four legs (laughs) no they they don't get old i i I don't know i still think that teft is up to something Mm -hmm. that he's he's just not telling us the truth entirely so as we're sitting here and reading through these 
somebody is starting to type a comment at the bottom and then they stop typing and it goes away. We are speaking to you from the future. <laughs> Get on with it already. <laughs> <laughs> we'll wait around a little while, but eventually we're going to have to move on. So lay some predictions on us. All right. So I have a couple of predictions for this episode. The first, the one I've already mentioned, is that the trophies in the basement are from different worlds in the Cosmere. Okay. Ter- uh, excuse me. Seth gets an honor blade. Mm-hmm. I think it was given to him by one of the heralds who then sent him to the Parshendi. Okay. I feel like Saber... I, I don't know how to say his name. I feel like Saberial and Teravangian are connected. Okay. I don't really have any real reason to think it, but I just do. Which makes what I'm about to say next completely tinfoil and baseless. I love it already. I think uh, Siberian and Teravangian are connected, and I definitely think Siberial knows what's going on with the ghost bloods. Okay. Which leads me to believe that Teravangian is the ringleader behind the Ghost Bloods. Okay. That's what I think. Okay. My last prediction is that Shallan's box doesn't exist. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> She's as smooth as a Barbie doll down there. <laughs> You mean the you mean the safe, the, the yeah, glowing safe? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. The, the yeah, that's that's what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's in her head. I think that's why non Balot. I think it was non Balot. Uh, wasn't able to see it. There's a line in one of the chapters that says she wanted to stop the darkness that was slowly strangling them all. Mm-hmm. It seemed like their light had gone out when mother died. Mm-hmm. I think that light that's in there is the is the truth that Pattern is trying to get her to uncover. Mm-hmm. Now, it wouldn't surprise me if in this world, in somehow there is a metaphysical reality to mm-hmm. it, but I don't think it's like an actual box that's like hiding a monster. I think it's all those memories are in there and some some sort of metaphorical thing that mm-hmm. that Shalon has to go through. I like it. Those are my predictions. I like it. Somebody's still typing. Sorry, friend. I'll have to catch you next week. We'll have to get you next time. Kitchen's closed. All right, so next week, again, episode 85 will be Warbreaker number one, chapters one, well, epilogue, or uh, prologue through chapter seven. Now, we had not really intended to release this as a standard episode. We wanted to release it as bonus material, but... With the joys of travel sports, Elizabeth will not be here next weekend. 
So that's where we that's where we have to go. And the following episode, episode 86, will be chapters 44 through 48 of Words of Radiance. Holla. If you like what you heard here, uh, you can leave us a rating or a review. We always appreciate that. But you can get in touch with us on our homepage at thedukeandduchesspodcast.com, on Facebook at The Duke and Duchess, on Twitter at The DND Podcast, and all of our other various social media stuff. Want to give a shout out to Jen Nagel for helping out with the Reddit. Uh, you can find us there on The Duke and Duchess. And also to Ian James Crone for helping out with our Goodreads page. So we're on all those different things. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.